This week on the Mike Wise Show, we continue our celebration and analysis and breakdown of The Last Dance. Episodes seven and eight are now in the books and we'll examine some of the key storylines. But first, as usual, darling, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? The Last Dance has been the basketball fix we've needed in the weeks since the COVID-19 pandemic shut down the NBA, every other sport, and shoot, society. So as we break down what we saw in episodes seven and eight on Mother's Day, I'd like to welcome our producer and the chief content officer of Pure Hoops Media, Bruce Bernstein, into the studio for his perspective. Bruce has followed the NBA since the late 1960s, God, you're that old, and oversaw ESPN's NBA studio shows from 1924 to 2017. That included supervising SportsCenter's coverage of the final three Bulls championship teams, from 1996 through 1998. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Mike. Thanks for uh, making me 137 <laughs> years old. I actually oversaw those shows from 1994 to 2017, not 1924 to 2017. But thank you for those extra years of experience. <laughs> I just think of you as a veteran. It could be last century. It could be the century before that, Bruce. It doesn't matter. You have experience. Uh, the the last dance seven and eight. I think that if you had to say that these were the two most emotional episodes, I would agree with you because they went into the the death of Michael Jordan's father, the murder of Michael Jordan's father, the emotional moment in which he collapses after the 1996 championship, uh, his first since his father died, and he's basically with a basketball on the ground sobbing. And for all the money in the world, for all the adulation, for the corporate image, at that moment, Michael Jordan is everybody USA who lost his father way before he should have and thinking about his father missing that moment right then. And uh, that got me. A lot of people were sobbing. I'm sure I had seen the footage before, but I don't think I'd seen it though that angle. And it just he just collapsed and he was exhausted. And but more than physically, he was emotionally exhausted after his father had been murdered and uh, James Jordan. And he basically had done everything but um, win a championship in the time that he'd gone. And so at any rate, what do you think? I had seen him on the floor hugging the ball, uh, sobbing as well, but I had never heard the audio of him sobbing. That was a that was a video that I had seen, but I had never heard the audio of him, and mm. that really does that that cuts you right to the quick. Yeah, I um, I tweeted uh, um, last night on Twitter essentially about that scene, and I also remember because Frank Isola. Uh, and I, I was at the New York Times. He was at the New York Daily News. We actually went up to Steve Kerr um, more out of courtesy and respect because people forget that he had never won a championship to that point. That was his first title on that team. And his father, Malcolm Kerr, had been um, Malcolm Kerr 
had been the head of the university in Beirut in Lebanon, and he was murdered essentially by a terrorist group um, outside his classroom or inside his classroom. And he was only 52. Steve was 18. I think he just started Arizona. And, um, and, and we went up to Steve Kerr, uh, even though it happened long before that, we went up to Steve Kerr's locker room cubicle that night because it was Father's Day for him too, in many ways. And I'm sure he thought of his own dad. And, uh, and the funny thing was at no point was, this will tell you everything you need to know about Steve Kerr. At no point was he, uh, was he like, oh, Michael's getting all this attention because his father died. You know, I didn't, he was just, he, he, all he talked about was how, how much this meant for Michael and he wouldn't even bring his own story into it. But at any rate, um, what an emotional night. What a, it, it's, it's another moment of, it, it, it had all these sort of like weird feeling. You, you could hate Michael Jordan one minute for being a dick to his teammates. And he was in many ways and he admits it. And then there's other times when you just go, well, that was, you know, if the championship end is uh, justifies the means, then it doesn't matter. Right. Everybody's saying that, 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 oh, I wish we had that fire and everybody needs that leader. And I don't know what Bird was like. I mean, I remember he called his teammates sissies once after a playoff game. I'm sure he was a jerk in his own way and he'd needle guys. I'm sure magic was the same. I think every great player has to have whatever you call it, an asshole side of him to to bring out that in his teammates. But Michael went to the nth power on a lot of levels. And uh, and we even have a clip of a couple of it. But go ahead. What were you going to say, Bruce? No, I mean, just a couple of things. Number one, I thought the, uh, the dynamic between Michael and Steve Kerr was really, really fascinating because Kerr stood up to him. And Jordan, you know, for the for the first time that I can remember in any of the episodes, Jordan felt bad about something that he had done. He apologized to Kerr. He remember he said, "I felt this big. I beat up the smallest guy on the team." Yeah. And, and so, and and that was a, a catalyst for for Michael and Steve having a much better relationship. And the story that you told about Bird calling his teammates sissies. That was during the 1984 finals against the Lakers, and that led directly to the Kevin McHale clothesline of my good buddy, Kurt Rambis, in the following game. Oh, and the Celtics got physical. Right, because because Bird did call those guys out, and McHale was not a cheap shot guy, but I that had to have played into his mindset when he went up there and almost decapitated Kurt going in for that uh, layup or dunk. Oh, he barely tapped him. Stop it. <laughs> no, you, no, I, yeah, I, I agree. I, and look, I, I'm not here to say, oh, Michael Jordan's an asshole. Why did he do, why did he do that? He won six titles. I will say this. I will, we find, if I've learned anything about teams that I've covered, guys that I've covered, we find ways to like guys who win for our teams. However, whoever they are, bad, good, otherwise, we find ways to like them. If Steve Kerr hit Jordan in the chest and then got popped in the eye, and that was how he earned Michael's respect, and they were a 30 and whatever, 55 team, uh, 30 and 52 team, and, um, and, and they're going to the lottery, that team doesn't make the playoffs. That's team turmoil. That like we look at that we look at that completely differently, and I'm not saying like I'm just looking at Michael Jordan as a wizard at the end of his career. He alienated those guys, and it wasn't because 
um, he was a different guy and he was suddenly this, you know, jerk, you know, of a veteran. He was that guy in Chicago. They just had better players and he had a better system and Michael Jordan couldn't do it all by himself. And they didn't have as good of players. And, and the only person he bonded with was Doug Collins at the end of his career. I remember Wes Unseld asking the wizards at that time, whether they wanted to pitch in and buy Michael retirement gift before his last game, they turned their back. They didn't want any part of that. They were just like, screw this guy. He, 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 you know, he alienated all of us. Of course they were 38 and 45. If they were, Oh, you know, 55 <laughs> and whatever, then all of a sudden, who cares? I just, hey, think, I guess what I'm saying is I think we find ways to like guys when they win for our teams. I still go back to Allen Iverson. Guy was a knucklehead that couldn't get away from his Hampton Roads upbringing, and he would and, and couldn't get rid of all the uh, the knuckleheads in his circle until he takes the Sixers to the NBA ch- uh, Finals. And at that moment, he's a story of heart, redemption, AI, the little guy who could and change. He didn't change. They just got to the finals, and that's what I'm getting at is the whole Michael Jordan thing. Like we look at that completely differently if Michael Jordan wasn't on championship teams. But I know, I know what you're thinking. If the queen had, um, if the, I'm sorry, if if the bull, if the male bull had mammary, mammary glands, he'd be the female bull. Okay. So I understand. Doesn't mean. That's actually nothing like what I was thinking, but I appreciate you putting words in my mouth. So no, no, just winning covers (laughs) all sins, period. End of discussion. That's it. Winning is the great deodorant. That's a great point. (laughs) Winning is the great deodorant. It covers up the stench. The stench. All right. A couple things I need to talk. I I just need to get off my chest. Yes. Why was Michael Jordan's eyes red this entire documentary? This guy, like, was he just like, you know, I don't know what's beside him there. Crevassier, whiskey, whatever. Was he just hammered? And that's the only way they could loosen him up to get him to talk about this stuff? His eyes are redder than... I mean, it looks like he needs Visine the whole time. Do you get this at all? Well, I've noticed all along that. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's the truth serum he was drinking that that made his eyes yeah. uh, that color or mm. that he might have some kind of, you know, physical issues. And I'm certainly not saying that. But, you know, I know oh, that would certainly be awful. appears, to be, awful appears to be he appears to be the picture of health. But, you know, some people, I guess, you know, the, the whites of their eyes, yeah. you know, do can get a little bit yellow. I mean, I would have to consult my wife, Nancy, who is a former <laughs> nurse to get an answer for that question. So no, I'm, no, I'm not a doctor and I don't they even look, play one on your podcast. They look blot. They look bloodshot. And I'm not, no, I'm not going to say he drank too much or, you know, I'm not going to say that. I just think that um, his eyes are very red. And all I have to say about that is um, Michael, we love you. Stop drinking. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. We are not going to do an intervention here on the podcast. But I would say this. Jordan, I love that he's saying all this stuff and we're finding out all the method to his madness. And especially the, the story about LeBradford Smith, who he just destroys on a back to back game after Bradford Smith had a good game against him. And everybody hears about this story that LeBradford Smith came up to him in Chicago after busting his ass for 37 points and, and the wizard, uh, I guess the bullets at that time winning. And, um, and he said, he allegedly said, nice game, Mike. And that just 
rankled Jordan to the nth power. And he went to Washington on the back and that back to back and just he had 36 in the first half and he was just using LeBradford Smith. Well, it turns out all these years later, LeBradford Smith never said that. Michael just made it up. <laughs> it's like he needed to invent challenges to piss himself off. I it reminds me of a guy, John James, I used to go to high school with. He, sh he showed me how to do nunchucks one day and I was like, this is kind of weird. And we're in a field and he's just like, watch and he takes it off and he just starts going crazy with him. And I'm going, you can really hurt somebody. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, you killed my father. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> he goes, you killed my father. I'm like, oh shit. And he was actually going to come after me after. And he goes, he had psyched himself up. Now that was John James went a little crazy and he was Michael Jordan didn't do that, but he did the basketball sense of that. John James, if you're listening, please call in. You would be a great interview. <laughs> I think somewhere along the line, Michael Jordan must have been an admirer of Red Auerbach because, you know, Red Auerbach was famous for taunting uh, his uh, vanquished opponents by lighting oh, yeah. up a victory cigar on the bench. And, I mean, I've seen Michael Jordan smoking cigars in pretty much every episode of this of this series, oh. including in the locker room when he was holding that baseball bat and they were, at, were asking him about Gary Payton or whatever, and he's there – I had no problem with the glove. He's there just like smoking a cigar, talking and about he's like, like... He, that was before a game. That's before a game. And then it's like, I'm going, I'm not letting my nine-year-old watch this. Cause he's going to go, dad, can I get a, you know, can I get a Tipperillo start out like Mike? I'm like, what the hell is that? It's like endorsing cigar smoking. Like, does anybody know that Michael Jordan almost cut his freaking finger off? Uh, and that's why he got, and that's, that's part of the reason, <clears throat> excuse me. No, I don't got the COVID-19. It's just 11 p.m. at night. Um, uh, it's actually midnight. The, the, he, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan almost uh, says he was cutting a cigar, I guess a nice Cuban, right before the lockout in 99. And that's why he retired. One of the reasons why. And the other reason was there's a lockout season and they weren't bringing Phil back. And anyway, but, but the bottom line is, um, yeah, Michael Jordan needs to stop endorsing the cigar thing. Well, you know. He's he's earned the opportunity to 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 have a, a cigar. I don't believe he's smoking Tipperillos. Um, no, he's smoking they even still fine make Cubans. Tipperillos? Yeah, no, I exactly. don't even know where I came exactly. up with that. I just remember Mike, Tipperillos think, like that was something like Clint Eastwood did. Yeah, it was like I remember the, the commercials: ugly. cigars, yeah. cigarettes, Tipperillos. It was like a, 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 <laughs> a, a like a waitress type person. This is before. Like most of these people were born. We can't we can't keep doing this. We're dating ourselves horribly. Yeah, right, why don't you why don't you talk why don't you get into that that story that David Stern told us? Uh you know, you had the very last interview with David Stern that was yeah. sadly and shot you know what, at if the I very the tail end one, of, it was shot at the very tail end of October twenty nineteen, Mike. So I also, why don't you set that up? Why don't you set that up? Well, of course, one of the things that came out after the murder of James Jordan was many news um, outlets, um, even some reputable ones, surmised that Jordan's gambling, high stakes gambling, may have had something to do with his father's death. Now, there was no, I, I don't think anybody came up with a link. I don't think anybody, or a real link. Um, I don't think anybody, uh, did some ferreted out some information that really brought to this. And to this day, the men that are in prison for killing him 
have never, th- th- there's nothing tied to that. It was sort of like he was a guy on the side of the road that was sleeping and they murdered him and took his car and whatever money he had. He could have been ever, anybody. I don't believe that that was. And even if I did, it would be something like you and I would talk about off there like, hey, man, man, whatever this was his gambling. It wouldn't be something I put in a newspaper or a broadcast. Um, it, it was very very suspect journalism that you would even link the two. You could think that, but if you don't got any evidence, but bottom line is people thought, and I kind of in my own mind, um, well, I, I never believed in that would lead to James Jordan's. I mean, it had nothing to do with his father's death. In my own mind, I always thought down deep that David Stern got involved somehow. And he and David Falk and everybody and Jordan came to an agreement that, look, you got to leave the league for a while because this, this, not only your personal life's a little crazy right now, but this gambling thing, this guy, Richard Eskin is putting out a book. I mean, that's huge stuff. And um, I'll, I'll give you a little anecdote. Anybody that's listening, you probably haven't heard this one. Um, before we get to the clip, there, there was an NBA player who told me a story once, and I don't want to say who it was or whether he was even present, but Michael Magic some Latino guy that nobody knew and some other guy were playing cards, maybe it was four or five guys playing cards in Magic's room, I believe in Monte Carlo. They had brought in some all college all-stars to play against them, including Chris Weber, I think Alan Houston, Grant Hill, and apparently a few guys from that team were allowed to go up to Magic's room and watch them play. They weren't going to get involved because they didn't have that kind of money. Well, whoever was at UNLV probably did because Jerry Tarkanian paid his player. But but um, I can say that now. Jerry's dead. Oh, I'm kidding. I, sorry. J, J, look, if Danny Tarkanian's out there, I'm kidding. I like your dad. But, but bottom line is they were in this room, Magic and Michael and this Latino guy, all these people were playing crazy stakes. And I remember the player that told me this story said, I had never seen $30,000 on a table before in my life, cash in my life. And Magic, I guess, won most of it. And the bottom line was, is a year later, this player happens to pick up, a, or he's walking through the airport and he sees this book on at the little Hudson News thing. And he looks at it and he goes, wait a minute, I know that guy. That's Richard Eskinas. Richard Eskinas, that was the guy in Jordan's room a year ago in Monte Carlo. He was playing cards with him. Anyway, so Jordan played for high stakes. I don't buy this argument that somehow if you make that much, you lose a million. It's not that big a deal. We don't know how much Michael Jordan lost. And we know that people can get in much deeper than people think. But when I spoke to David Stern, God bless America, Bruce, I I actually asked that question of him. And this is what he had to say. You suspended Michael Jordan oh, yeah, because we of gambling. Oh, yeah, we were sitting in my living room, said someone on ESPN. Yeah. And my wife said, where was I if he was here? I said, you, I must have. Who was uh, in your living room? Michael. Michael he, Jordan. He, he well, yeah. And they said. And they said, hey, that's when Stern told him he had to leave the league. He had to leave the league because of his gambling yeah, problems. That's, that's, a, that's funny. I mean, that's what happens when people ask questions because Bob Costas asked me, well, what about this gambling? I said, Bob, <laughs> how big is your mortgage? Well, that's different. 
Why? Because, well, you don't want to owe money to gamblers. Well, what about your mortgage? And so, I don't know. So this was the, the you felt almost personally insulted because, so to this day, uh, Michael Jordan retired uh, uh, to go play baseball. But he retired for his own reasons, oh, whatever they were. Oh, question. He was. You, at no point did you put any pressure no, on him. Oh, gosh, no. He was, our most valuable player was leaving our league. And I, yeah. and I went there and said, it's great. If he has the wherewithal to do that, he should follow his dream. I think LeBron's a better player than Michael, but what do you think? Uh, I'm not getting into that. God dang it. Um, what about... Actually, Mike, they're different personalities. Michael was the most wicked competitor. He pushed his teammates to such a level. Oh, look at the, the, the Hall of Fame uh, speech. Yeah. That was the real Michael. Okay. Pettiness. Uh, no, oh. I don't want to say he was petty. He maybe, I think he had a couple before he gave the speech, but that's a separate issue. Yeah, that's probably okay, true. Okay, but I, I, I just think that made him a great player and made his yeah. teams great teams. And again, that was from... How almost Halloween last year, David Stern's last uh, lengthy interview. I'm curious, Bruce, now that I've seen The Last Dance and you see David in his office looking almost exactly like he did when we interviewed him, although a little bit less formal with the tie. I want to know where that interview was. And we need to get Jason. How do you say his name? The, the director? Hey, hey, hair. Hair. Hey, hair. Yeah. Yeah. Hair. He we got to get him on because. Not only did he do this documentary, but an even more important one, the Ernie and Bernie show. Remember that one with Ernie Grunfeld and Bernard King? Yeah. You, you I, people who love the Earn Dog, you know. I All actually right, remember them at Tennessee. I remember the, the the two New York City guys going down to Tennessee uh, and just like tearing it up in the SEC back uh, in the late 70s. Uh, it's a great story. It's, it's like one of the most underrated stories. And then uh, anyway, I'll, I'll digress. I'm going to have either Danny Grunfeld, Ernie's son, or, or Ernie on here soon because um, it's just a great story. Their mom's like a 95, Ernie's mom's 95 years old, Holocaust survivor. It's an incredible story. But anyway, all right, I digress. We go back to this. Michael Jordan was a tough son of a bitch as a, as a teammate. We knew this. And he ribbed his guys. And I'm trying to think. I wish I was... Maybe I should have been more of an asshole to my high. Maybe our high school would have went further. Um, is there something to be said for being an asshole in sports when you see this? Um. Oh, and by the way, before I before I get before yes. I before you answer yes. that, let me say this. My wife made a great point while we're watching. She said, "Okay, well, if Jordan's such a hard ass on his teammates, and he's so critical, but you know, and you want to go off on that." She was talking to me about everybody said, then you better have the same exact feelings about Tom Brady because he drops every F-bomb imaginable on his teammates on the sidelines and everything. I mean, he is a psycho. And, and you know, and you think to yourself, you go, yeah, yeah, Tom Brady, ultimate winner. I mean, talk about a GOAT. That's another GOAT, you know? So. Listen, Tom Brady, Tom Brady is a god. He can do no wrong in my book. I'm a – now that uh, you know, I'm a Boston fan. So now that he's on Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is now my second favorite team because Tom Brady yeah. is a god and always will be. But you know, remember when you had Charlie Rosen on the show a few weeks ago, and yeah, you were yeah, talking Phil's, about uh, Phil, 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 Phil's right. guy from the bat, the acid days of the 1970s. Right. He was he was saying that Michael's teammates were all afraid of him, and that came through a little bit in the oh. show this evening as well. Well, Jeb Bushler, Jeb Bushler said that. 
Yes. He said we were afraid of him. We were afraid of him, and we were. And and I was like, wow, that. And if you're a coach, if you're Phil Jackson, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm not saying anybody could have taken them to a title. Phil managed egos, personalities like few guys. Um, but but to have an alpha male like that kicking everybody in the ass for you when you you know it kind of it kind of almost like you know it's almost like Coach Jordan in a way. LeBron does the same thing. LeBron doesn't have the you know cut it out you know cut your heart out. I you know I, I basically. Uh, sell my mom for a championship ring. You know, he doesn't have that kind of Jordan in him, but he's still an ultimate competitor. And you see how he gets his teammates up often. I think that one of the differences between Michael and LeBron, and again, we've talked about LeBron before. I actually am one of the few people who feels that he is the greatest all-around player ever. Uh, And I believe that if Dr. Naismith himself had gone into a laboratory and said, I'm going to create the perfect basketball player, that player would come out looking a lot like LeBron James. However, and now I digress a little bit, I think the difference between Michael and and LeBron, LeBron Mm -hmm. loved, loves his teammates, all right? Michael tolerated his teammates. (laughs) Right. Mike was a guy's guy, and he... You know, he'd shoot, he'd sling a drink back with you. He'd he'd go shoot pool. He'd play cards with you. He'd do all these things. But at the end of the day, he had to be in charge. You know, he wasn't one of the guys. He he was the guy. And so I think there's a, you know, there's a big difference. Um, you're right. I think you're right that that Michael, Michael tolerated his, some of his teammates. Well, it, let's be honest. They weren't as good as him. That's why Magic Johnson was a lousy coach. You know, like he couldn't deal with the fact that players didn't have his commitment level or skill. And it just, you know, it ate him up. Well, you know, it was it's interesting that, uh, you know, the one guy who gave it back to him was Steve Kerr. But another guy who gave it back to him one time was uh, on the second three, Pete, and that was Ron Harper. (laughs) So we you turned me on to this clip that Monica McNutt had on uh, buckets, boards, and blocks um, when she had Mark Jones on. And Mark Jones told an anecdote um, that, and anybody that doesn't know about Ron Harper, he had a horrible stutter, and um, Mark Jones talks about it. Let's hear the clip, because you'll laugh at how Ron Harper got Michael back. Michael loved to crack on guys. He had a real acerbic and sharp sense of humor and he really went at guys sometimes and you know ron harper we all know had um he worked us through a worked his way through a very uh thick at times um stuttering issue and he's gotten very good at you know commanding that right now and getting great control of it but early in his career he would take his time to get through sentences and it was a little bit more pronounced than it is now so You know, Michael went after Ron one time on the team bus. They were driving to a game, and the Bulls were in the middle of one of their winning streaks. Everybody was feeling good, and Michael had just come back from his um, baseball uh, tenure. And he was talking – he was – Michael was really coarse. He was talking about, hey, Ron, you – you stuttering this, you you this, you can't be you that, Ron Harper. You're you're bull this, you're bull that, you you – and then – Ron Harper stood up and everyone in the bus turned around and looked at him and he flashed 
he flashed up three fingers and then one finger, three fingers and then one finger, as if a catcher would do in baseball. And he said, hey, Mike, what was that? And Mike said, I don't know, Ron, what was that? He said, curveball inside. You can't hit it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is classic. Um, I'm glad that if you're, by the way, if you're not listening to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, that was another reason. She has fabulous guests. She lets them talk. And uh, anyway, Mark Jones was great there. I've known him for a long time. He's honest. He's real. Uh, I A couple more things before we sign off here. I want to say that I've always been of the opinion. It was like I always sort of as my in my LeBron is going to be a greater player when all is said and done. I always use like, OK, Michael loved the game that much. How do you just walk away from it? Um, like that. How do you walk away? From, I can understand 98. Okay. You're 35, 36. You've d- had the pinnacle three times and the bulls basically force your hand because they're breaking up the team. I couldn't understand 93 because you would think, shoot, but seeing this, I really believe he wanted to play baseball. And as much as we say bag it, Michael, and you know, I thought it was really interesting. Jerry Reinsdorf saying, we couldn't start him in minor league or anywhere else or, or single A because we didn't have the media. Um, we, we didn't have the media. Uh, facilities, uh, capabilities. Facilities, whenever. yeah. To have it, yeah. To, and so that was that was interesting. So you got to start in double A, which is tougher. Um, the fact that he hits a home run. I don't know four players. I don't even know a player today who could get into a double A game and – and be, you know, and, and be thrown at by whoever, whether the guy ever made it to the show or not, a double-A pitcher, and you take him deep over a fence. I don't know one guy in the NBA could do that today. Maybe five over the course of the last 30 years, one of them probably being Danny Ainge because he he did play for Toronto. Um, I think he was uh, – I think um, Nolan Ryan – like, he's one of Nolan Ryan's strikeout victims, which I love. Ainge got fanned by, by Nolan. But – um. I think about that and I go, wow, the, this guy could, you know, it, it's like Bo Jackson like in a way. And you wonder if had he been um, had he been given the time and, you know, you know, if, if he had started that earlier, you know, who knows? He might have been a double two sport athlete and he could have pl- played it off somehow. Although, yeah, it, you know what? The finals are right in the middle of the all star. It's not that was that wouldn't work. Also, the Birmingham Barons, no relation to the Birmingham Black Barons at that time, but still, Willie Mays, say hey kid, played for the Birmingham Black Barons of the Negro Leagues. It's one of, and um and and this just to see Michael Jordan in that jersey, I don't know. I thought it felt right and I'm glad that he scratched that itch. Willie Mays recently turned 89 years old. Willie Mays, the greatest oh, all-around player. My favorite ball player when I was a kid. My very favorite ball player when I was a kid. I grew up watching American League Baseball, but whenever the NBC Game of the Week would have the Giants on, I mean, I'd be glued because Willie Mays was just like, he's on the Mount Rushmore of baseball all-timers. Did you hear that uh, train train thing in my background? I have my text trained to, uh, actually, that's the train sound, like a train whistle every time someone texts me. I asked Rick Buecher earlier tonight whether he wanted to join us. Wish I could. Got a story I have to finish tonight. Shut up, Buke, you loser. You're never coming on this show again. He's not listening to the podcast either. 
No, I mean, you know, Buke's a busy man. He's, you know, he's got all kinds of things going on. But listen, you know. I hit up all our California boys, right? Because it's three hours behind. Rick, uh, you know, Rick is just one of many people that have turned us down when we've tried to get them on this show. So he can just, you know, join join the club. But we still Luckily, luckily no one from Pure Hoops Media would ever do that. So that's good. (laughs) Absolutely not. We are a team. Yeah. And we like each other. Yes. Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be a 20 year documentary about us and our moms will watch it. By the way, before I go, happy Mother's Day to your mother. Uh, She's how old now? My mom is 93 years old. Uh, Her name, her nickname is Teddy. Uh, She's been struggling lately, but she's a wonderful mom. I'm grateful for her. She's a she was widowed at age 33 with two small kids. She raised mm. us as a single mom, and uh, I love her dearly. So happy Mother's Day, Mom. I, I actually did talk to her on Mother's Day as well, so uh, she's the best. she ever get remarried? Yes, she did, but uh, she waited. Uh, my, my father died when I was three years old, and she mm. remarried when I was 17. So she basically raised me up from, you know, from the ages of three to 17 yeah. as a single mom, along with my sister, uh, Ellen. So, uh, yes, she's, uh, she's a heroic woman in my eyes and always. Mm. My mom was named Ulrika Meyer. She was from Germany. My father met her while he was serving in the army over there. And she had me <laughs> at 17 years old. She was a child bride basically. And, uh, she didn't, she only lived till she was 46, but, uh, she had a really good heart. And uh, so happy Mother's Day, Mom. My stepmother was um, Mary Wise, and um, Mary's still with us. She lives in California. Happy Mother's Day to you. And uh, certainly happy Mother's Day to my wife, Christina, and to your wife, uh, Nancy. The lovely Nancy, uh, the, the best mother, wife, and friend a man could ever have. I have truly outkicked my coverage in life. Uh, I. I saw the Facebook photo. I re- I friended her recently. I totally agree with you. I mean, I she, like like all I thought was like like she must be like, why aren't I with Brad Pitt? And I don't understand it, frankly. Because she's you're beautiful. Good. She's beautiful and she's smart and she needs glasses. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. All right, so this has been another exciting adventure from Pure Hoops Media. If you didn't listen to us, well, <laughs> it's not that you don't even like basketball. You don't even like sports. All right. Thank you for joining us. That was dope. Thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, for sharing his thoughts on The Last Dance. Thanks also to our editor, Ben Wolfen, for putting the audio puzzle together. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Each Tuesday, we've got Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams, where they have college basketball covered. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto and Aaron has a new show every Wednesday. And Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt is here each Thursday. And her most recent guest was David Aldridge, who had almost as much face time in the last dance as Michael Jordan. (laughs) His classic MJ stories have been a highlight of the series. And Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. B.J. was a member of the first three Bulls championship teams and his MJ stories. Well, you saw the last dance, if you did anyway. They're amazing. (laughs) All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing.
Please honor your fellow citizens by wearing your mask in public, washing your hands, and maintaining physical distancing when you venture outside, about six feet. Treat everyone like a family member because we're all in this together and pray for the safety of our brave healthcare professionals and other essential workers. Also, to all of you at the White House who have the COVID-19, we hope you're safe. Holla Kellyanne! Stay safe, everyone, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Mike Wise Show. And also, belated happy Mother's Day to everyone who is a mother, everyone who might be a mother someday, everyone who's got a mother or used to have a mother. There's a lot of mothers out there. This is a mother of a show. Peace! The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.